Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are now listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. So much going on. I thought with the holiday weekend, folks would have taken time off. But apparently, no. Also, apparently, I heard the weather is trash on the East Coast, or at least the Northeast. I think it was like the high was 40-something or 50-something for Memorial Day weekend. It's, you know, I complain about L.A. because it never really gets but so hot here until around August. I'm used to hot summer nights, and I'm used to my birthday being significant heat. I could always go to the beach on my birthday, which is July 9th. I could always do that when I lived on the East Coast. Here... It might be a good 75. I don't do the beach when it's less than 85. So, but it is sunny and beautiful in LA like it is every day. It's like Groundhog's Day. It does rain in Southern California. We'll talk about that a little later in the episode. It comes up in a story I want to share with you. But yeah, I've had a good three-day weekend. I went to my friend's birthday dinner. I didn't really do much else this weekend. Nothing of, well, there is something of note I want to talk about. I want a friend to join me on the show to talk about it because the encounter triggered a conversation that I heard him having once. He has agreed to come on the show. We're just trying to figure out a date and a time that works for both of us. So I'll save that story. But meanwhile, oh, I should have talked about this last week. It was in my notes and I just, I don't know how I just glanced over it. Shout out to Corinne Jean-Pierre. She is the White House Principal Deputy Press Secretary, that is her full title, and last Wednesday, she became the second black woman in history to hold the daily press briefing. The press briefing is usually done by Jen Psaki, who is the White House Press Secretary. But last Wednesday, Jean-Pierre took over. In addition to being the first black woman to do this in 30 years, the last one was Judy Smith. Judy Smith of Scandal fame. She was the deputy press secretary under H.W. Bush. And she was the first black woman to hold a daily press briefing back in 1991. Jean-Pierre is also the first out lesbian woman to lead the press briefings. And this has nothing to do with anything. I'm just saying it because it was an observation I made. She is absolutely adorable. She's like the cutest thing on two feet. She's a chocolate woman with this like really cute afro and she had on this like bright yellow dress that looked like amazing on her skin. You know, black women look really good with jewel tones, but yes, but also as adorable as she is, don't play with that woman. Don't play with her. Do you remember someone ran up on stage and tried to attack Kamala Harris? This was 2019 Kamala Harris was still a senator, and Jean-Pierre was the, was the chief public affairs officer for Move On. I don't know what Move On is. But she was moderating an event, and a protester hopped on stage and grabbed the microphone out of Senator Harris's hand. Corinne immediately jumped up in heels and an adorable pink dress, jumped up and jumped between Kamala Harris and the protester, And stood between them until security came and got the protester off the stage. Sis don't play. Sis don't play. But good for her. I mean, congratulations on being a first. I don't know what this position actually means for her, though. Like, she's not replacing Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki has already said that she's stepping down next year. But we don't know when and we don't know who her replacement will be. Could it be Jean-Pierre? She did a good job at the press briefing. Very humble. One of the first questions asked for her was about the historic nature of her being at the podium as a black woman. She did what she was supposed to do as a spokesperson. It's not about you. 
It's about the organization or the person that you're speaking for. And she said, quote, I appreciate the historic nature. I really do. But I believe that being behind this podium, being in this room, being in this building is not about one person. It's about what we do on behalf of the American people. It's a good answer. She also did say that it was a real honor to be standing at the podium. So good for her. I would love to see a black woman as press secretary. If that is something that Jean-Pierre would like for herself, I would like to see her have it. I told you I don't watch the news as faithfully as I used to, but I would be tuning back in daily if there was a black woman as press secretary just to see what she had to say, see how she handles the press. And not so good news, Blair Underwood and his wife of 27 years announced that they are parting ways. 27 years is a long damn time. They made a public statement. It was interesting um, reading the, the takes on this. When I was searching for the wording for the press statement, in white publications, Blair Underwood is referred to as the sex in the city actor and his wife. And I was like, really? Because when I think Blair Underwood, I, I don't think sex in the city. I think, actually, I think like MF Blair Underwood. He doesn't need to be associated with a project. I want to say that his last role that I knew of, remember when the pandemic started? I had flown to D.C. so me and my mom could go to Broadway and see Blair Underwood. I think in a soldier story because he was taking off his shirt and he still had like all of his abs. He was on the Tamron Hall show and Tam Tam was talking. Tam Tam, that's what I call her in my head because we're like besties in my head. Tam Tam was talking about his new role on Broadway. And then she showed a picture of his abs. And my mom, who had just retired, was like, that's what I want for my retirement. I want to go to New York and see Blair Underwood's abs. Okay, I'll do too. Shit, let's go. We also got like Hamilton tickets for I want to say like $200 in row two. My mom called off the trip because, you know, COVID. And it, it was good, too, because literally the day we were supposed to go, Broadway shut down. So we would have been in New York exposing ourselves, you know, to an airborne virus for, for no damn reason. I was willing to risk it all, though, for Blair Underwood's abs. But Blair Underwood is, will be, back on the market. Like, if I have to associate Blair Underwood with a project, it's probably, because I think, again, he just stands on his own as, like, Blair M.F. Underwood. Like, I probably would have said set it off. When I think of Blair Underwood, I definitely don't think of Sex in the City. And so like in reading that, I was like, wait, is Blair Underwood only black famous? Like, do white people recognize Blair Underwood walking down the street? Because he can't go nowhere with no black people. Black women would fall out and attack that man. But like, can he walk freely amongst white people? Do they know who like MF Blair Underwood is? I don't know. And just for clarity, I mean MF with the highest respect. There's only a couple other people that I refer to as MF. One of them is like Michael M.F. Ely, because I just think he's like the epitome of physical perfection. I also feel this way about Blair Underwood. So the MF is, is with reverence and respect, just for clarity. But he and the missus are going their separate ways. And in a joint statement, they said, quote, it has truly been a beautiful journey. Our proudest achievements are our three incredible children, we will continue to be the best of friends and co-parents and have the utmost respect for one another as we embark on this new chapter of our lives separately. We thank you all for your support throughout the years and we humbly ask for privacy and understanding during this new season of change. <laughs> that last line is, is always so, uh, so weird to me. When people realize that you and your partner or you and your spouse are having issues, you're not posting pictures together anymore, or you're not wearing your ring, or you're uh, seemingly living in separate cities, as was my case, people start to notice. And it's like the harassment of trying to figure out if what's going on with you and your partner, it makes doing anything online unbearable. So like you're forced almost to address it just to get people off your back and to like shut the fuck up so you can talk about other things or promote other projects or, or just breathe a little. So you have to make a statement, but then it's like you're making this public statement. It further invites people who are already commenting to comment further because they've almost like forced you to say something. 
Um, and then once you do, then the questions just get even crazier. So it's like you're making this public statement saying, like, this is what's going on. And then you're asking for privacy. And then people are always like, well, you put it out there. So now it's fair game for me to talk about. It's one of the downsides of, I don't know, being known. But you're not ever supposed to complain about it because people think that, like, oh, if you're well known, then you must be making insane money. And, you know, this is what you signed up for. It's not really Signed up to work, <laughs> not to be harassed about my personal life, but <sighs> so it is. Not coincidentally, their youngest child is 19. So it seems like they waited until the youngest child was out of the house and got into college, which, you know, a lot of people do. Stay for the kids, make it work to give them a, a stable upbringing, a happy enough, if you can fake it, household. He's an actor. Maybe he could. I don't know. But I wish them the best. Like 27 years out the game. And to re-enter, Blair's in his mid-50s. He's 56. And, you know, people think that, like, oh, well, he's Blair Underwood and he's fine as fuck, which he is. He'll be all right. Willie? Willie? Divorce is a bitch. I don't wish that shit on nobody. If you can figure out a way to make it work, make it work. If you can't take it, I mean, you got to go. But understand, you're going through hell before you get to peace. I do not wish it on anyone. I wish them the best of luck. I will do as they wish. I will respect their privacy. I won't read anything more to it than what's posted as their personal statement. And I will move on to the next topic. Diddy and J-Lo are in the news. Last week we talked about J-Lo frolicking, spending time with, cozying up with her ex, Ben. Apparently the two of them were holed up in Miami, spending quality time together. But late last week, I think Friday, actually last Thursday, Diddy decided to kick off Memorial Day weekend with the proper amount of fuckery and shenanigans out of nowhere. Like no one, absolutely no one was thinking about this or asked for this. But he posted a picture of him and Jenny from back in the day with the, with the, the caption TBT, Throwback Thursday. He posted a picture of them from, I don't know, back around the turn of the century. Early 2000s, late 1900s, he posted a picture of them walking, holding hands back when they were still a couple. And I was like, sir, you are messy. Messy. Jenny's no longer with A-Rod. That engagement was called off and now she's doing something with Ben. But, you know, it's too early to probably put a title on it. So I guess Diddy was like, well, since you circling back around the block, come see about me. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's so disrespectful. Like, you know she's, like, hanging out with another dude, and you just shoot your shot. I mean, I mean, I guess they're not a couple-couple, though, but come on, dude. Come on. That's just rude. I don't think Ben going to do anything about it, though. We'll see. That's so reckless. There's lots of recklessness going on in couples' world, or ex-couples' world. Vivica and 50... Not the drama you would think, especially given their history of much drama. Now, Vivica and 50 dated again around the turn of the century. But she did an interview recently with Vlad TV and she was asked, she didn't just volunteer this information. She was asked how she met 50 Cent and what she thought of him. So she told the story of how they met. I want to say it was at the Soul Train Awards. Apparently a lot of couples hook up at the award shows like wasn't that Whitney and Bobby's story too? They met at an award show. I think it was also the Soul Train Awards. But she was asked what she currently thought of 50 Cent. And she says, quote, it's not the first time she said this either. Quote, he was the love of my life. I will admit that without any reservations. He will always have a very special place in my heart. Now, Vlad TV being what Vlad TV is, released that part of the interview without full context. Fiddy's current girlfriend didn't take very kindly to that initially. She ended up apologizing when the rest of the video was released because Vivica went on after she spoke fondly of 50 to acknowledge his new relationship, to acknowledge his new woman, and to wish the couple the best. So it wasn't the drama that people thought it was. I want you to know that I heard nothing 
of this interview, nothing of Vivica saying he was the love of her life, nothing about it. I heard nothing about this whatsoever until I heard that 50 responds to Vivica saying he's the love of my life. And my first thing was like, oh shit, here we go again. Because you know, 50's petty as shit. Cancer men, and I'm a cancer woman, cancer men are the devil. Avoid cancer men. I will be fully transparent with you as a cancer. We are, we're crabs. We have hard shells. We have very mushy insides. We can be absolute assholes. We are very, very emotional. Now, some people can manage themselves and function appropriately in society. Cancer men, that hard shell, that tough exterior with all those damn emotions, Combined with male entitlement and audacity, if you meet a male cancer, save yourself. Run for your life. Fitty is the epitome of a cancer man. Run. So when I heard he responded to Vivica, and because they've been very brutal with each other over the years. Like, she's implied he was gay. He said that she was old. She was a bitch. She licked his ass. I'm like, Why? Why are you sharing these details? But this time, this time, I don't know if he was having a a good emotional day. If this is a sign of maturity and growth, which please, please let it be. Please let it be. But his response, he was speaking to a a radio host. I didn't write it in my notes where where the young woman was from. But 50, he was very cheerful and charming. He said, quote, I'm never bothered by when she says that. At the time we actually interacted with each other, we weren't conscious of everything else that was going on. He went on to say that they didn't work because too many people were involved in their relationship. And he suggested it might have had a better chance if they had remained private. He also finally confirmed. Vivica had said at one point that Fiddy, Curtis Jackson, was going to propose to her with a 12 carat ring. But then they got into some sort of argument. So we had the diamond cut up and made into earrings instead. But he did confirm that like, yeah, like she wasn't lying about that shit. I'd never heard about the 12 karat diamond before. I knew they dated. I knew she was really into him. It was never really clear how into her he was because of like their public back and forth. But I was like, oh, you were like all in. Like you were you were considering marrying If you had a 12-carat ring on hand, you was in it. In it, in it. Huh. I don't know. They're both older now, more mature mentally. Vivica seems all right. Fitty? Crapshoot. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe. I mean, I know he has a lady now. It's not a wife. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm starting to sound like old folks because old folks be like, you know, you're single till you're married. I'm like, well, wait, what about like relationships and engagement and blah, blah, blah. Old folks be like, you are single until you are married. My grandmother was engaged to somebody else and she met my grandfather. Clearly that didn't work out. And then they were married for like 61 years, 62 years. So, you know, you're single till you're married. I'm not taking that advice. I'm not giving that advice. I'm just saying what old folks say. There's more fuckery afoot. This time with Future. I don't even want to say Future and Lori Harvey because he said some shit. Lori Harvey still ain't said shit. The woman doesn't talk. I mean, not really. She did a Vogue makeup tutorial recently and I was like, oh, okay, that's what she sounds like. Other than that, I think I've only heard her say literally, why, why? Some video she posted with Michael B. Jordan, he threw snow on her. And she was like, why? Why? That was literally the only time I'd ever heard Lori Harvey's voice until this Vogue tutorial. But even in this like makeup or skincare rather tutorial, all she's talking about is skincare. She doesn't talk about social issues. She doesn't talk about other people. She doesn't talk about her personal life. She doesn't speak and she barely writes captions. Like so much fuss over this woman. And you really have no idea what she thinks about anything other than loving Michael B. Jordan and her skincare routine. Loving family. We can go where she loves her family. That's it. That's all you actually know about Lori Harvey. She likes fashion. Most women do. Okay. That's it. 
with so much controversy over this woman. This controversy is Lori Harvey and Future dated briefly. I was very tickled by their interactions because Future never publicly claims anyone. I'm not even sure he really like publicly claimed Sierra. Maybe he did. I don't recall. I didn't really pay that much attention to them. I remember Future, who, you know, king of the fuckboys, posted Lori Harvey on his official Instagram page. And he was all up on her in the picture. And she looked so unbothered. And Lori would post pictures of him because I think he paid for like her birthday celebration in Jamaica and flew all her friends down. And many of the blogs pointed out, does he have the same event planner for all of his women's birthdays or, or anniversaries or Valentine's Day? Because her shit looks exactly like somebody else's shit, too. And I was like, oh, future. But it's future. You don't really expect much of it. But Lori Harvey would post these pictures of him in her stories. And it was the same thing. Like, she would be looking at the camera and he would be all up on her. And I was like, oh, shit. Lori Harvey's playing the fuck out this dude. She's pulling a him on him. It was kind of cute. But they were together and then they weren't. And then Lori popped up with Michael B. Jordan. Future, they've been apart. They've been apart for, I don't know, maybe nine months or so. But Future apparently still feels quite the way about it. Because he has a verse on a new single by 42 Doug. Don't ask me who the fuck that is. I had to look up his name. I was like, what's up 42 Doug? Don't know and don't care. But this person, this rapper, he has a new song called Maybach. And Future has a verse on it where he says, tell Steve Harvey I don't want her. Apparently he felt a way about Steve Harvey commenting multiple times that he did not approve of Lori's exes. I want to say TMZ caught up with Steve Harvey. They were like, well, what do you think about your daughter dating Future? And he was like, who? I don't know nothing about that. I ain't heard nothing about it. Don't know nothing about it. That's, mm -mm, I don't know. Versus, you know, his conversation about Michael B. Jordan. He was like, oh, he's a nice guy. I sat down with his father. I sat up at night for hours talking with him. I can't find anything wrong with him. He's really great. Like he just, he praises Michael B. Jordan. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Future can't actually honestly expect anybody's father to approve of him. I mean... Be realistic about who the fuck you are. Nobody's dad is approving you. And that's not to say that he's a bad person. I don't know the man. I have nothing personal against the man. But like, you got like eight kids with six women. Whose father is co-signing you? Who? Co-sign your money? Maybe. Co-sign you? It's not going to happen. You just got to be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. So he says, tell Steve Harvey I don't want her. And then he goes on to say, I've never seen a bitch leave. To imply that he left Lori and Lori didn't leave him. And then he goes on to say more. He says, must have forgotten to tell her daddy she begged me not to leave. She didn't have a choice but to go fuck a lame after me. Dude. Dude. Have you seen you? Can you count to eight? I'm not saying it didn't happen. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know these people. I don't even know people who know these people. Actually, that's not true. But still, you want me to believe that Lori Harvey, Lori Harvey begged you, a father of eight, looking how you do, got energy. I'll give him that. The man got energy. But just to like, just, you know, look at him in the light, you know, attractiveness is subjective, but he's not somebody I would give the MF to. Like he's not a, a Blair Underwood to me. He's not a, a Michael Ely to me. He's not a Michael B. Jordan either. Some people don't think Michael B. Jordan is attractive. And I'm like, are y'all blind? Do your glasses work? Do you need glasses? You know, neither here nor there. We all have different tastes. I acknowledge that. But I was like, really? Lori begging future? I don't see it. It could have happened. I don't see it. But even if it did happen, it's over. It's been over. And she's been public with her new boyfriend for quite some time. And Future has a new lady as well, who he's also, he's not as public as Lori and Michael, but he's, you know, has a new girl. You in a whole relationship with somebody else making songs about your ex, her father, and her new man? Nigga, you not over her. Which was the general conclusion of the internet. I feel like he made that verse thinking like people were going to respond like, oh, Future, you're so crazy. You're like king of the fuck boys, but king nonetheless. Like, we love you, future. And people were like, oh, 
This man need therapy. He's still talking about this chick. Didn't he also do this to one of his other exes? Like, the man is hurt. He needs help. And why do women keep leaving him and leveling up? I talked about it on Instagram, and people kept referring to this movie, Good Luck Chuck. And I was like, what is Good Luck Chuck? I'm not familiar with that. And this woman was like, oh, it's a movie about a guy who women date, and then they go on to find their true love. That's future. And I was like, shit. I don't know about the, um, the only child's mother that I'm familiar with is Sierra. I don't know anything about any of the other women, like what their circumstances or situations are. But, you know, Sierra went on and found Russell. They've been married for like five years. They have two kids. Like, upgrade. I think he was the first person she dated after Future. I'm not sure about that, though. Michael B. Jordan, that's an upgrade. Michael B. Jordan versus Future, that's a huge upgrade. Hollywood A-lister, blockbuster star, looks how he looks. The man is in Super Bowl commercials. My God. He's literally, literally people's sexiest man alive. Literally. And Future wants to call him a lame? Y'all are a year apart in age. You have eight children by six women. He has none that we know of. You know, I don't vouch for men. You never know what men. But still. Really? He's a lame? You know, I also found interesting. I was having this conversation on my Facebook page and... You know, most women chimed in and was like, how the fuck did Michael B. Jordan get called a lame? And one or two women were like, yeah, Michael B. Jordan is kind of corny, but he's an upgrade for future. Like, let's be clear. But then these guys came on the page and they were like, yeah, women love those thug dudes. They love those thugs. They love those thugs. And I was like, really? I think some women do go through a phase where you like dudes who are not going to say thug. But like reckless, carefree, don't got their shit together, ain't really trying to get it together. They're fun. They're interesting. The dick is usually great. Like, okay. But men act like they don't also do the exact same thing. Like they don't spend most of their 20s hopping around from like one hot chick to the next. And their sole interest is just like she's fine and I'm having sex with her. And when I get bored, I'll just move on to the next. Like I think it's a function of... I'm newly freed and I can do what the fuck I want. And so I'm just going to do people that I think are hot because, you know, your whole brain isn't even fully developed until you're 25. Like, you're not really making the best choices here. But it's, like, weird that it's, like, expected that, like, women can't go through the exact same sexual exploration or thought phase, whole phase, whatever you want to call it. But, like, men get to spend, I don't know. Their whole lives if they want because there's really no pressure for men to marry. But you can be a hoe through your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. But if you decide at any given time as a man, you know, I think I want to settle down and find a nice, respectable woman now. Then people are like, yes, you should find a nice, respectable wife. Like, you know, good for you for getting it out of your system. But if you're a woman and you date like, I don't know, one dude who's like off center, it's like, oh, you love them thug niggas and stay with your thug niggas and... You've ruined yourself and no decent man should want you. And it's like, really? How do y'all get this shit? And I also want to say this. 90% of the time, that thought process only applies to men online. It's mostly posturing for other men. I think we talked about this in a previous episode. Most of the conversations I hear online that are so crazed and so misogynistic and so like, oh, men care about this and men care about that and women have to be this and women have to be, women have to be that, like... No one gives a shit. So Future makes these um, declarations in his lyrics. And I'm going to assume like a bunch of other people. I was like, well, yo, are are Michael B. Jordan and Lori Harvey going to respond? I didn't expect Steve Harvey to respond. He's a grown ass man. Like literally this man is in his 60s. What the fuck does he look like responding to Future? Like Future could be his son. Stop. But I was like, I wonder if Lori Harvey or Michael B. Jordan will respond. Like this should be interesting. And I was really hoping that they wouldn't because future is popular enough, but Michael B. Jordan is a list and all of this will get picked up by the major publications. If Michael B. Jordan jumps into it and responds, Michael B. Jordan is the one that will take this story outside of black pop culture and music publications and get it into like a people us weekly. And I was like, don't give that dude no extra attention and no extra publicity for his, for this new song that he's on that he didn't earn. Make him go pay a publicist for placement. Don't do that shit for him. Leave it to young mastermind, Lori Harvey. She knew people were sitting on her page waiting for her response. 
And so she took a day, less than 24 hours, and she responded. No words. She posted a series of pictures, five of them. The caption was a red lipstick kiss. That's it. And she posted five pictures of herself looking like one of the baddest bitches on the planet. She looked amazing. She had this like tight red dress. Her whole back was out. Face was beat. Diamonds were glistening. I want to say the shoes were Dior. The toenails were sharp. Ma'am looked flawless from head to toe. Head, shoulders, knees, toes, everything. She looked fucking amazing. But that was her response. And because she doesn't speak, she leaves the interpretation of what she's saying. A thousand words, a hundred, ten. What she's saying with these photos, you, you, can, you can put anything on it. I took it as me, babe. Do you see me? That's what I took it as. And then she started posting pictures in her stories. Pictures of some roses that Michael B. Jordan had sent to her in preparation for their date later that evening. She, she posted a little boomerang video of him looking snackalicious. I, I remember the earrings and the chain. I don't know if you can see the dimple. In my mind, there was a dimple, but it may not have been actually in the video. You know how I feel about Michael B. Jordan. He's gorgeous. But that was the response. And I was like, I hope there's no more to it. Take the Beyonce approach. Best revenge is your paper. Or the old folks. I keep quoting them. Why do I keep quoting the olds? But living well is your best revenge. They are living well. Indubitably. Indubitably. I want to talk about Naomi Osaka. She's in the French Open, or she was in the French Open. She posted over the weekend that she would not be participating in press conferences during the French Open because of the toll that those news conferences can take on a player's well-being. She posted this on social media. She said, quote, I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health, and this rings true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. We're often sat there and asked questions that we've been asked multiple times before and asked questions that bring doubt into our minds, and I'm just not going to subject myself to people that doubt me. She also said that uh, the way that journalists ask athlete questions is tantamount to kicking a person while they are down. She did expect that she would be fined, and she was okay with paying it. Osaka, who is 23 years old, she's ranked number two in the world for tennis. She also earned $55 million last year, so she could pay a fine, which she did receive. On the opening day of the French Open, she opted out of press, and they fined her $15,000. She asked that the money go toward a mental health charity. French Open said that they would continue to fine her if she did not participate. In an earlier statement from them, they said, quote, We want to underline that the rules are in place to ensure all players are treated exactly the same, no matter their stature, beliefs, or achievement. As a sport, there is nothing more important than ensuring no player has an unfair advantage over another, which unfortunately is the case in this situation if one player refuses to dedicate time to participate in media commitments while the others all honor their commitments. I didn't think that was the right stance for them to take. The woman is citing like her emotional well-being and mental health. Like, use an abundance of caution and don't push her over the edge. Like, I, th- I think what she's doing is totally reasonable. I mean, we've all seen press conferences where the media, and you know, I, I am, was, I don't know how that's technically defined because I still write sometimes. We've all seen press conferences where the media just go in on people and sometimes they get up and walk out and we've seen behind the scenes footage of people crying in locker rooms and you know it's the press is doing their job by asking the difficult questions but sometimes those questions are are invasive and they're assholey and sometimes especially when you're at your low like you don't want to be vulnerable in front of the international media I don't think people opting out of putting themselves through that experience I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often, to be quite honest with you. Talking to the press is a bitch. If I don't know if you pay any attention whatsoever. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't do press. Like when Don't Waste Your Pretty came out, like I let the actresses and actors and director and writer of the film, I let them do all the press. Like I was like, I'm good. I do all the social stuff. I do almost anything you ask of me on social media. But, but do a press run? 
where people just ask me like random whatever questions? No, I'm good. I talked to Essence and we had a private VIP screening and I got blindsided the day before and I just didn't want to be an asshole and pull out. But they were like, yeah, so like, you know, we have press and it's an open situation where we're not moderating. They're just going to ask you whatever and you only have to take a certain amount of questions and it's going to be recorded, which I was like, had you told me that in advance, I would have got a makeup artist and done my hair, but you didn't. Okay. But literally the first, the first question that came from the press, I almost logged off. I don't want to deal with that shit. So I don't. I say all that to say, I'm not an international athlete, obviously. I'm not an internationally recognized face. I am like 0.001% of Naomi Osaka's fame. And I hate doing the shit. I can only imagine how brutal it is for her. Like, I'm not really mad at sis. So the French Open flipped out and was basically like, you're going to have to do more or we're going to give harsher sanctions, potentially forcing you to withdraw because what you're doing is, is not okay. And Naomi Osaka was like, you know what? She didn't say exactly, but what she did is essentially fuck your French Open. She released a statement on Instagram. It's a running joke of this podcast now. She, she said, quote, I think the best thing for the tournament, the other players, and my well-being is that I withdraw so that everyone can get back to focusing on the tennis going on in Paris. Let's see what the full official statement is, because actually it was a really good statement. She continues, more importantly, I would never trivialize mental health or use the term lightly. The truth is, is I've suffered long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open in 2018, and I've had a really hard time coping with that. Though the tennis press has always been kind to me, and I want to apologize, especially to all the cool journalists who I may have hurt, I am not a natural public speaker and get huge waves of anxiety before I speak to the world's media. So here in Paris, I was already feeling vulnerable and anxious, and I thought it was better to exercise self-care and skip the press conferences. I announced it preemptively because I do feel like the rules are quite outdated in parts, and I want to highlight that. I'm going to take some time away from the court for now, but when the time is right, I really want to work with the tour to discuss ways we can make things better for the players, press, and fans. Anyways, hope you are all doing well and staying safe. Love you guys. I'll see you when I see you. Heart sign. The French Open officials look like assholes right now. I'm not even sure if they know that they do. They look like assholes. You're trying to force someone in emotional distress to speak to the press. And because she won't, not only do you find her, you want to up the ante and you take for granted that she's going to fucking fall in line because I'm sure whenever they went to her and was like, so this is the fine. And if you don't play by the rules, then we're going to do X. No one expected her to be like, well, fuck it then and pull out the French open. You just lost one of your cash cows. Your ratings are going down. What the fuck? In addition to Sunday's fine from the French open, Naomi Osaka drew a surprising warning from all four Grand Slam tournaments that she could face stiffer penalties, including disqualification or even suspension if she continues to avoid the media. They all look terrible right now. Like you look horrible. Ugh, I feel so sad for this baby. And I call her a baby because she's 23. I know she's a grown woman. But she's 23, facing anxiety and emotional distress. I don't know how y'all feel about 23-year-olds in your lives, but like, I, I, I want to auntie her. I want to mom her. I want to hug her. I want to make sure she's okay. I feel so bad for her. I see a lot of people being like, she'll be all right. She has the money. You do realize, or maybe you don't, because if you did, you probably wouldn't say that shit. You do realize that like money is not a buffer for emotional distress, anxiety, depression, any of those things, right? You do also realize that you can go to therapy forever in a fucking day. And a therapist can help you manage, but not necessarily cure anxiety or depression. That it's a process. That it doesn't just happen. Certainly not overnight. Do people realize that? Because I often hear like people are like, oh, well, they have access to like the best doctors and the best therapists. And so what's the problem? They do. And some people utilize those resources. They do have the best in the business treating them. And still, they suffer. Anxiety, depression, mental distress of any kind. Like, it's not a, I can throw money at it solution. 
Like, people think about mental health in these really weird ways. Like, you would never say to somebody that, like, oh, their cancer is not a big deal because, you know, they can afford the best doctors and chemo and time off work. They're not hurting for money. They'll be fine. Like, you recognize that cancer can affect anyone and that it's not guaranteed to be cured. People tend not to understand that about mental health. It's very sad. Last but certainly not least... I want to talk about bonnet gate and I had no intention of talking about this. I'd actually been avoiding the subject for the last week or so up and down my timeline. People have been sharing a photo of several black women in an airport wearing bonnets. Some guy, I think it was a guy was at an airport. He, he saw a bunch of black women traveling together. They were in bonnets and slippers he was especially enraged about these bonnets. So he took this picture of these women, unbeknownst to them, and posted it on the internet in judgment of their bonnets. The post went viral. And the comments about black women and what's wrong with them, because it started with bonnets and then it went to their weight and then it went to everything else that's wrong with black women and, and why they're so unlovable and undesirable and Blah, 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 blah. Bonnets was just the kicking off point. But these types of criticisms happen every so often. And so, you know, sometimes it's bonnets in public. But I've also seen the same criticism about bonnets in private. You're a woman and you live with a man and how you going to have your bonnet on? And it's like, well, okay, I can't protect my hair in public, but I also can't protect my hair in private. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with my hair? But then I've also seen these same criticisms about scarves um, in public or in private. I've seen this about black women in sweats. I've seen this about black women with weaves, with wigs, natural hair, the style of their natural hair, the texture of their natural hair, women who color their hair, women who don't have enough ass, women who have too much ass, women who buy ass or reshape their bodies. It's just like a never ending list of criticizing something about black women. And when I wrote about this on Instagram, I thought about this Toni Morrison quote. And I think about this quote a lot. It applies to many different things. But she's talking about the function of racism. And she says, the function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Someone says you have no language and you spend 20 years proving that you do. Somebody says your head isn't shaped properly, so you have scientists working on the fact that it is. Somebody says you have no art, so you dredge that up. Somebody says you have no kingdoms, so you dredge that up. None of this is necessary. There will always be one more thing. And I give you her quote about racism because I think it applies to sexism. And I think it applies specifically as well to sexism that is targeted specifically towards women, black women. I think the function of complaining about your bonnets and your wigs and your weaves and your clothes and your weight and your slippers and anything else is to keep you from doing what Morrison calls your work, to keep you distracted. And just as she points out, there's always one more thing, always. There's always one more thing to complain about. Nothing you really do as a black woman ever really seems to be enough. And so we talk about it very often online in terms of relationships, but I see it show up in probably every aspect of my life from family to professionally, not so much friendships because most of my friends are black women, so they kind of get it. But even my guy friends, like, are they just not on the shit, but like, I watched this debate rage wildly and I swore I wasn't going to jump into it because again, like it's a distraction. I got other shit that I could be like focusing my brain power on. Lord knows I'm like overwhelmed with work, especially right now. Monique jumped into the conversation last night, Sunday night. She uploaded a video about black women in their bonnets and she, you know, chastised black women, young black women, she said, for not taking enough pride in their appearance. She talked about how she was flying through the Atlanta airport and she was looking around and everywhere she looked, she saw all these women in bonnets. 
And she was like, you know, black women used to take such pride in our appearance and we don't take it anymore. And like, you know, basically stop doing this shit. She, she was kind of nice about it, but it was also like chastising. And I found that very ironic, this, this version of respectability politics coming from Monique, of all people. Because I'm like, you don't adhere to respectability politics. Like, I remember very vividly Monique being dragged for not shaving her legs. And I was like, you know what it's like to be on the receiving end of this subjective, arbitrary respectability politics that really has no real function and really has no effect on your life. You know what that feels like. But then you turn around and drag women for not, pra- for not practicing respectability politics in a different way as if it's not all the same shit. Really? And even worse, you're criticizing women about their appearance while sitting in a bathrobe with no brassiere on. As if that's also not a violation of respectability politics. Like, yes, you're at your home. You're also filming a video that you're putting out to the world. You couldn't put a bra on? Oh, you didn't feel like it because you was comfortable. Oh, okay. The money debate was starting to buy down and then, you know, Monique jumped in and reignited it and like up and down my timeline. It's like all what people were talking about. And and so I felt like I, I had to say something, which is respectability politics will not save you. Like if you don't want to wear a bonnet, you want to do your hair every time you leave the house, you should. But if you think that that's going to get you further in life, that that's going to guarantee you better treatment, if that's going to get you a step further ahead in life, it doesn't. It doesn't. And you know it doesn't. That's the craziest part about it. Because every black woman I know has some story about being out shopping, dressed up, heels, bag, hair did, nails did, everything did. And somebody still comes up to you and asks you where the dressing room is. Or if you have this dress in my size. And you standing there with a big ass bag. You might even have a coat on. And all the person sees is the black. And they assume you work there. You're there to serve them. It's happened to me bunches of times. Whether I'm dressed up. Whether I'm dressed down. It doesn't matter. I told y'all LA is like racist as shit. But I was at a restaurant. One of my favorite restaurants in Beverly Hills. One of my friends was in town. Big, big fancy VP marketing exec. But she was in town. And we went to dinner. It was raining out. I go, I go out to the valet and I give the woman my ticket. She's standing under umbrella. It's also cold every night in LA year round. Doesn't matter if it's August, July, whatever. Hot summer nights don't exist here. And she has a heater. So I stand next to the heater and I'm waiting there for her to bring my car out. Now, mind you, I'm out with my friend. We're at a fancy restaurant in Beverly Hills. I have on a dress. I have on a jacket with a mink collar. My hair is, at the time was still blonde. It's like big and blonde. And I've got on my hoop earrings. I've got a full face of makeup, heels, gigantic Louis Vuitton bag. Like I'm, I'm done. And I hear somebody asking, like, is my car here? And I don't know who they're talking to. Cause like, maybe there's another valet that I don't see. I don't know, but I don't turn around because like, I'm not the fucking valet. And why would you be asking me about your car? That's crazy. So the guy says something again, and he was like, hey, how long is it going to take to get my car? I've been waiting 20 minutes. And I turned around and looked at him, and I was like, I'm not the fucking valet. You saw the profile of a woman, and literally I was kind of standing to the side. I, I literally mean profile. But like you saw a woman with like gigantic hair in a fur collar jacket, in a dress, in heels, with a gigantic bag. And you thought, oh, must be valet. Like, how? Because I'm black. That's how. It doesn't matter. Like, I could have on a bonnet. Okay. I could be dressed to the nines. Same shit. Same perception. Like, so people are very concerned. They're like, oh, have some pride in your appearance. You'll be treated better if you, you know, if you dress up and, you know, you make some effort. If you're not just being lazy. No, you won't. That's the truth of the matter. No, you won't. I get it. Everyone's looking for a leg up. Everyone's looking for a way to avoid poor treatment. Everybody's looking for a way to avoid racism. There's nothing you could do about it. Like a person who looks at you and thinks that you're ghetto or low class or not deserving of of basic decency or respect because of your hair being covered or whether your hair is done, if that's the distinction that they make, your hair or your bonnet isn't the issue. The black is the issue. 
if people look at you and they see you in a bonnet and their default is like, oh, she's ghetto. It's not like they don't think that when you don't have a bonnet on. Like if you want to get dressed up and fancy and you want to do your hair every time you leave the house and put on a full face of makeup or whatever you call self-pride or standards or basic decency, like, you know, you can do all that. You can do it for you. Don't do it thinking it's going to garner you anything special. As I often like to point out, Martin Luther King was assassinated in a suit and tie. And if you think this applies to how black people treat you, Malcolm X was also assassinated by black people while wearing a suit and tie. Like respectability politics is not some superpower. It's not some Wakandan type bubble that separates you from the outside world and protects you from harm. Now you can practice it if you want. That's a choice. But don't expect it to do shit for you. But people really piss me off with that. Like this willful interpretation that like not being willing to shit on black women means that you don't have standards or you don't have pride or you don't have self-respect. No, it just means I just choose not to willfully shit on black women in this way because I think black women take enough. And then I also just think that somebody at some point just needs to say, like, you know what? Do you because the truth of the matter is none of the other shit matters. People don't like it when I say that. But it's true. People say, oh, my God, I was I wasn't raised that way. I was raised to a higher standard than that. That's not how I was taught. Okay. And you adhere to the respectability politics that you were taught, but you still experience racism though, right? And sexism, right? Okay. People keep wondering, they're like, well, Demetria, do you go out in a bonnet? You're defending these people that wear bonnets, but I've never seen you post a picture in a bonnet. I'm not answering that question because it doesn't matter. It doesn't change my opinion. And also the people who are like giving these comments and say like, I don't wear a bonnet, but I do believe in people's right to do whatever they want to do and blah, blah, blah. That whole, I don't wear a bonnet. It's a, what's the term? It's virtue signaling. You want people to know that like, you know, I don't have a problem with it, but I'm not like those people that do that. I don't care if you think I'm like those people that do that. You either like me or you don't. If your opinion of me is vastly changed by whether or not I wear a bonnet in public, you really didn't fucking like me anyway. There was another woman who pointed out, and so she was like, I guess you're just telling people now to waste their pretty. Just for clarity, don't waste your pretty was never about looks. I've said that like 50 million times. Sometimes people just don't get it. That's fine. I don't expect that everyone hangs on my every word. But don't waste your pretty is about knowing your worth and garnering reciprocity for the efforts you make for others. It's never, ever been about what you look like. If you want to apply it that way and be superficial, you can. But that's never the way I intended it, which I literally explain on like page one of the book, maybe page two. Actually, I think it's page one, but you know. Speaking of don't waste your pretty, we still have teas and V's and mugs on sale on DemetriaLLucas.com. I hope you are still able to get one while they're in stock. Quantities are running low and I'm not restocking them until, well, until there's a new announcement to be made about don't waste your pretty. Still working on the Ratchet and Respectable merch. So that is the episode for this week. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. If you need some Ratchet and Respectable in your life between now and Friday, you can follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That ain't everything. But what we didn't cover today, we'll get to later this week. Talk soon. Bye.